Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Crucial Conversations Podcast with the Blue Lava Community, where we gather and share expert insights on security program management delivered with, by, and for the most respected security leaders around the world. Together, we'll explore solutions to the most pressing business challenges unique to the careers of CISOs and cybersecurity executives. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. Sean. You know what I did today? No idea. I don't even want to know. I do it every day, as a matter of fact. You had a conversation. With myself, and that's, oh. uh, and that's the thing. I make a mistake every day. Somewhere along the lines, I drop the ball and go, oh, crap. Really? Did I just do that? So, so you give yourself advice? Is that what you do? <laughs> That's right. I do you take, follow that? Take advice? my advice. I don't use it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're all guilty of that, I think. I think so. And we so. need to it's talk It's easy about to look it. at something else and go, and this is probably actually a good point for, for this industry, where we look at something and go, what the hell were they thinking? But when somebody's in the in those shoes in that moment, uh, surrounded by the chaos and the pressure, who knows what uh, one would do? So it's see, being a CISO and a security leader isn't uh, just about planning and getting budget. There's actually real real world stuff going on in there. And uh, so this is a crucial conversations uh, podcast and webcast here uh, on ITSP Magazine with the Blue Lava Community. And it's for, with, and by the CISOs and security leaders to join together, join hands, share with each other, and uh, be better as a, as a large community. And uh, today, if you can't, haven't guessed, we're going to be talking about mistakes and lessons learned and what it might be like to be in somebody else's shoes, perhaps. And uh, of course, I don't know anything, Marco. Um, that's why we have amazing We decided guests. to bring somebody who made a ton of mistakes. <laughs> and it's going to tell us about it. <laughs> no, just kidding. I mean, th- this is this is going to be very deep and I think very helpful conversation, but also with a good friend of ours. So uh, there's going to be some laugh, I think. Sean, I- I'll leave you the honor for uh, those that are listening is, to the podcast. It is an honor to, to uh, introduce Mr. Mistake, Matthew Rosenquist. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to go there. Now you, you've you've done amazing things with us. Uh, you can, you've contributed to Scholastic articles uh, for the European Union and been on a number of podcasts, the other society and and whatnot. And uh, I mean, Marco said it, but you are a good friend, and and we value what you have to say. You've done a lot of things over the years and have had a lot of conversations yourself uh, with many folks. So let's uh, let's hear a little bit about Matthew for those who don't know you. Uh, maybe a brief view into your role, uh, your journey into security leadership and what you're up to now. Well, other than having to suffer with both of you <laughs> for years and, and having great conversations about cybersecurity. Um, and yes, I have made mistakes and, and hopefully I've learned from them. But my background is a little over 34. I think I'm coming up on 35 years in, in security. 24 of those were with Intel. Um, I built out, you know, Intel's first security operations center. I landed their, uh, essentially their uh, CERT team and was incident commander for the company. I, you know, built and managed all the security for the mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, site closures all around the world. 
uh, you know, built out the security for their billion dollar AI group and manage that a whole bunch of different stuff. But that was just within the company throughout my career as well. I have intentionally <clears throat> worked to drive communication and collaboration amongst cybersecurity professionals around the world academia, businesses, and governments, whether that's through podcasts or white papers or patents or uh, doing keynote speaking or whatnot. We are truly stronger when we communicate, when we collaborate, and we know the bad guys do it, right? And if we don't do that and we don't become very adept at that, we lose. We simply cannot keep pace with the innovation of the attackers and technology and all the other challenges we have in cybersecurity if we don't learn from each other because each one of us is gonna make a mistake. And we don't wanna repeat that mistake across the community. We want the community to learn from it and move forward and sidestep that pitfall from that, that moment forward. And this is how we do it. It's, you know, Marco, Sean, me, everybody and everybody in the, in the Blue Lava community Working, talking, collaborating, learning from each other, sometimes admitting mistakes, but also then sharing what are the best practices? How do you avoid it? Um, you know, how do you see that coming from around the corner and sidestep it? This is how we get stronger. Yep, completely agree. And I think you make your point that the that the uh, the the bad actors are collaborating and communicating. There, there isn't one big office building that, that all the cyber criminals sit within, right? <laughs> so not, not we, that we, we know. We, we can't, we can't use it. We can't there use are the a few buildings in some countries I won't name where they're yes, actually there may funded be by the big, government and it's a high rise um, under the ground or. Uh, <laughs> no, they've actually start... got good views of the city. Uh, ah, apparently yeah. that's a perk. If you want to huh? be a, a cyber mercenary for particular governments out there. Yeah. You get a, you know, a window you get the quarter office, <laughs> a room with a view. Right. Mm -hmm. But generally, I mean, they're, they're not all not 100% all in one space. They're around the world, each with their own roles, each this whole ecosystem, as we all know. I'm not saying anything this group doesn't already know. Um, for me, that that I don't know if that's a mistake, but it's something I think we often forget. And what's, this is why I'm thrilled about this community is it's a chance for us to come together, even if we don't sit in the same building or even in the same continent sometimes. And, and I'll add one more aspect because, you know, the bad guys, right, the, the aggressive cyber attackers out there, not only are they dispersed geographically, um, they have a huge degree of, well, they are, they come from all sorts of different backgrounds. They're men, they're women, they have different experiences. There is a tremendous amount of diversity in the people and their thoughts and their creativity. And that gives the attackers a tremendous advantage. And that's something that we strive for and we need to strive for, consciously strive for in the cybersecurity industry is to make sure we do also have that level of diversity of people in our community. Because again, they bring in that different background, the different experiences, the different viewpoints and we need that to be able to combat those exact same attributes and skills and advantages that the bad guys have. 
So it's not just geographical dispersity, right? It is the inclusion that they have with, with the diversity of the people. And that's something we also have to focus on in our environment. I don't know. It, it, it's very Machiavellian to me. It's kind of like the prince, no? keep your enemy close, right? And, and study what they do so you can do it better. But also, you know, your friends, keep them close too, right? You're a lie. I thought I meant uh, purple rain. Purple it's, rain? That's a completely different story. But, you know, I, I come from political science, so obviously I, I don't quote Prince, I quote Machiavelli. <laughs> but anyway, let, let's talk about that, because why, why in your opinion, we, we haven't grasped that at the beginning of cybersecurity, where we need to pretend to be perfect. Like, if I show a weakness then it's going to be really bad. And then it turned out maybe that that's the weakness, not to show it, not to share it, not to learn how somebody else reacted to a failure, right? I mean, that, why do you have to reinvent the wheel all the time? Well, it's interesting because if we go back about 20, maybe even 25 years, um, companies didn't want to talk at all about security or data breaches or attacks it was taboo because it was a sign of weakness, right? Nobody else was talking about it. You didn't want to be the only company saying, hey, we got attacked or we had a data breach or, or there was a problem, right? That, that could affect your stock. And so everybody from the board down basically said, don't talk about it. In fact, the lawyers in big companies said, you are forbidden to talk about it. You can't even share. You can't share with your colleagues. Don't share what we do, what we have, what we don't have, if we've been attacked, if anything's been exposed. And there were no regulations which required notification to your business partners, to your customers. And so it was very, very secretive. And it got to the point to where the industry needed data. You know, how many attacks were going on? How bad were they? Were they persistent? How long? All the, and there was zero data. The only data that was out there was generic survey data. Hey, what do you think? Right. But not actual data. And it wasn't until Verizon um, came out with their DBIR, their data breach incident report. And it was a watershed moment because the people behind that, who are brilliant, by the way, um, they went out and actually talked with CISOs under confidentiality clauses and said, okay, if you share, I'll aggregate this. Nobody can pinpoint to your company, but we will get real metrics. And the industry took that step forward, took that risk. And the data came out and it was monumental. It was the first time truly the industry had an idea of the scope and the issues. And it was phenomenal. From that moment, we've started to share more, but not fast enough and not well enough to really get to, to optimize where we could be. And let's face it, we're always behind the curve. The attackers always have the initiative. They have the advantage. So we're always trying to, to clamor to catch up and maybe get half a step ahead. We need that level of communication. We're not there yet. We have to keep taking that aggressive step forward to make it a reality. So how, and I don't know, we're not getting to, uh, unless, unless the mistakes are in my question. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, 
I'm interested that DBIR and there are plenty of other reports. Uh, yeah. Now there's, there's slews like of them. Everybody has great. stuff that yes. gives us insight, which is great. And which is kind of where I want to go with this. Uh, how do we as security leaders kind of make sense of all that? So awareness is good, right? So mm -hmm. an educated guess without data based on your own environment. Great. A, a consolidated view with some insights from the industry, perhaps even to your own sector, even better. But you have to take action on that, right? Yep. So, so I don't know, what are your thoughts or uh, your experience in kind of taking some of that data and, and bringing it to bear in a, in a program? Well, years ago, I was talking with a doctoral student who, uh, and, and she was a, a manager actually at Intel when I was there. And she was talking about that, that transformation, right? If you think about an evolution, you've got data, very unstructured, so forth, that if you do the right things can turn into information, which means it's relevant. It's tied together. You can come to a conclusion. That's great, but that doesn't get you where necessarily you need it to be, right? You need to then be able to have that information and transform it into intelligence. How does it apply to me? How can I benefit front of it, uh, in front of it? Great. But then you've even got to step after that. And it's, it's really kind of that wisdom level. That's where you get these gurus and, and very, very sharp business people or government people, policy people that say, okay, we know what we should do now. How do we actually manifest that in our environment? Because it's great to say we should do X, right? We should be ethical. We should be secure. We should do... It's another thing to how do you justify it and sustain it and implement it to actually get those benefits now and moving forward. So as we progress, right, at every stage, cybersecurity has challenges. At first, it was just getting the data. Now we've got lots of reports and lots of data. Not everything we need, but lots. Now it's taking that heap of data and transforming it into some form of intelligence on, okay, this is meaningful to me. And then that next step is, okay, what should I do based on that? Now, that's an action decision for you and your organization. And it may be based on industry information, but that's specific to you, which again is great. We should do A, B, and C, but the reality is it may, may not be compatible in our environment, our business. It may uh, have friction to our, our profit goals, whatever. You then have to figure out, okay, where do I find that balance? How do I find that optimal path to actually get benefit from this knowledge, from this information, from this data, and then share it? Because <laughs> everybody else is going to have to go through that same process, and it's arduous. That's why we've got cyber experts in, in the world to help. So translate let, let me ask you something, because... At the beginning, you talk about, you know, the culture has to be, you know, keep the, the business wanted to keep the information down. So mm -hmm. that was like stopping maybe people that would already understand, I need to talk to my peer. I need to talk to them. To, and they did talk probably, I'm not saying, but not officially, right? I mean, right. the community was talking. Behind closed doors, <laughs> Chatham exactly. House rules. I mean, exactly. yeah, and that's exactly. still the case. That is still but the that, case. But then, you know, not everybody's part of the circle and a lot of people, maybe they, they were left outside from the, the big, uh, I don't know, the big guys, whatever, the one that were already in, the, in, in talk with each other. So where are we now with that? I mean, do you think that it's still a 
culture because I'm going to say it was a culture problem because we know cybersecurity is a lot of culture problem. Is this still a culture problem or or now is in the end of the individual that can avoid to make mistakes? I mean, how much is culture? How much is, I don't know, the technology, the platforms that we use, the conferences? I don't know. Where, where is the problem? We're on a journey, right? We've got more and more conferences now, which are very, very open. We've got more narrower communities like Blue Lava and so forth. Uh, we've got conferences that Chatham House rules. Everybody's going to go into a room, cell phones off. Nobody's taking notes. We're going to share more information. And then you've got, um, you know, connectors who, hey, I know somebody here. Let's get together and have those conversations. You're having a problem. I know three other people that had a problem. And so there are many different levels here. We're not where we need to be. And, you know, you had mentioned people get left out. Well, unless you've got a good community, unless you've got great connections, unless you're invited to that closed off room, people are going to openly share. You're outside. You're in the dark, right? You don't have all the potential information that you could, and you're going to struggle. You're going to have to learn those lessons that the other people already have. And those can be very hard lessons. And so, again, it's a journey, and we have to continue to move forward. It is partially behavioral. It is partially technical. Um, even just having a common vernacular on what does a hack mean, <clears throat> it can mean 50, you ask 50 different people in security, they'll give you 50 different, different definitions of what a hack is or a hacker. Um, you know, so we're working on taxonomies. We're working on the common... Uh, vocabularies as well. And we're seeing that in the behaviors. We're seeing that also in tools. Um, Taxi just came out with a, a, a second, it's a standard, right, of how to kind of classify different attributes of attacks and attackers. And again, that's just a common vernacular that we can use as part of communication. If we don't have that, it becomes very difficult to communicate human to human and impossible to communicate machine to machine. So again, we're on this journey, um, but everybody has to take that active step forward and be part of it to help move it and then benefit from it. Yeah, for those listening, uh, taxis, the trusted automated exchange of intelligence information. Yes. So uh, feel, feel free to look that up when you have a moment. <laughs> so what? Uh, <laughs> uh, I know it's been around for a while, but um, uh -huh. the what I want to get to, and you, you mentioned journey, so let's use that kind of to, to lead us through the next little bit here of some of the common mistakes you see uh, the security leaders struggle with. And I say journey because perhaps maybe it's a new, a new leader, new CISO, new to the role, new to a new program, uh, or I don't know, a new company. So maybe they, they're, they're went, they moved from a Fortune 500 to a, to a small scrappy startup. Um, and then on through as they, as they grow a team and, be, and become true leaders of other security leaders within the organization or even within a community. So uh, journey through some common mistakes. All right. All right. Uh, in fact, I just published my uh, first LinkedIn learning class and it's, it's you know, titled uh, the five most, I think it's five most common mistakes or something like that. Um, 
but you know, through my journey and my experience in working with all sorts of different industries and talking with all sorts of of uh, different communities and CISOs, and I talk to a, a lot of boards and so forth, I run into the same problems uh, with security or that security organizations are having again and again and again. And th it's true for small organizations, medium, large Fortune 100 organizations. It's true in the banking sector and the manufacturing and transportation. They're just kind of common. And I think it comes down to some of the, the, the inherent challenges, you know, with, within cybersecurity. But um, I list out five of them. And the first one is the inexperienced leadership. And as it turns out, you can have a great cybersecurity staff organization, even great support from boards and executives. But if you don't have good leadership, it's just going to crumble. A poor leader in cybersecurity can undermine even the best security team. And I've seen it. I've seen a world-class security team get a new leader in, and I've seen it just explode. I've seen the most skilled people abandon, abandon ship, right? And I've seen suddenly the executives and the peers going, wait a second, you know, you're throwing curveballs at me. I, I don't agree with this. No, I don't like this. Um, and suddenly bewilderment occurs at the board level, and it, it's just terrible. The reverse is the optimal situation where you get great leadership that comes into an organization. And even if it's horrible, right, um, underfunded, understaffed, inexperienced, um, you know, uh, no support, you get a great leader that comes in, it gives that organization the very best chance to turn all of that around, potentially in, in, in a short timeline. So leadership, it really comes down to that as the number one failure. And there's many reasons why, right? And whether you're that person that's leading the organization, if you can detect areas that are starting to falter, it gives you an opportunity to go correct them. If you're at that board, right, and you want to look, okay, where are we? We're concerned about cybersecurity. You need to be able to look at whoever your leader is in the company and assess, do they need help? Are they stellar and we need to make sure we keep them? Um, do they need more support? Are they good on their own? Again, no matter where you are in the organization, understanding if there's good leadership makes an important difference. Even if you're one of those cybersecurity staff, if you identify that your leadership is not so good, that may be a signal that you there's an opportunity for you to jump in and help make the organization better. It may be a situation where you need to start thinking it's time to move to another organization um, because there's lots of jobs open <laughs> and other organizations may appreciate you more. You may be able to do better and succeed versus an organization that's that's poorly led. But that tends to be the number one thing is about the leadership of cybersecurity. Yeah, we actually had a, a crucial conversation with Dutch Schwartz that uh... We'll, we'll produce for the Blue Lava community here shortly. And, uh, or perhaps it's already produced if you're listening to this one now. Um, it was all around leadership and uh, some really great insights from, from Dutch. And the one thing we didn't talk about was how do you find the signals that something is bad? 
(laughs) (laughs) We could talk about a few of those (laughs) if you want. (laughs) Maybe, maybe highlight one, one, one. Okay. uh, uh, So obviously the whole team bailing on you is a pretty obvious one. That is, that is one. Um, So when I go into an organization and I unconsciously, or sometimes I get paid to consciously evaluate the leadership. Um, one of the things I'll look at is their, their scope. We, we see in the industry, a lot of leaders, cybersecurity leaders are elevated from a very technical background, a engineer, a architect, something of that sort. And they get elevated into a leadership position around cybersecurity. And this can be problematic. In many cases, it is. Because when you're an engineer and you've had your career and, uh, you know, your entire mindset as an engineer, it's about making something work, right? Uh, Whether you're engineering software or you're building a bridge, it's about functionality. Make this work. When you go into cybersecurity, it's, yes, you want to make things work, but a very important aspect is understanding the other side. How is the adversary looking to misuse this, and it's a completely different perspective. So if you're just in an engineering background, I guarantee, I guarantee your focus is going to be, I am going to scan for vulnerabilities, I'm going to patch them, that's gonna be probably 70% of my efforts is a patch management program. That's great, you're gonna fail, but that's great, because that's important, patch management is important, but you're missing out on the adversarial aspects. You're missing out on the behavioral, on the process aspects. And for that type of leader, the policies, processes, and procedures and guidelines of the company around cybersecurity are either weak or non-existent. They're relying on technical tools simply to try and fix things in the background. They're not leveraging their employees, their suppliers, their vendors, the behaviors. They're not looking at those processes that tie the people and the technology together. So you have a lack of consistency and comprehensiveness when predicting, preventing, detecting, and responding to cyber incidents, right? They may be really, really strong on the technical side. And normally the engineers are, right? They're fine-tuned their controls on their, their, their technical tools. They're doing great aces in that, but they fail in the other areas. And that manifests right at the end of the day in attacks, successful attacks, data breaches, exposures, prolonged incidents when something does happen before they can recover and get back into business, Um, liability issues, uh, regulatory noncompliance. And they're frustrated. I I, I see it with these technical people going, I'm I'm just here to fix security, which means I'm going to rely on technology and it's not working. It's not working. It's not, of course, it's not working. You only see this part of the picture instead of everything that you need. And that's a problem. And that I think it reflects also in the way you manage your own team because you're not have a team of technical tools, you have a team of people. So there you go. But I'm gonna hold you there because I'm very curious. Number two. No, number three. Let's go to three. (laughs) Skip it. (laughs) Whatever, number six. I don't even. Uh, so we say inexperienced leadership and we dig yes. into this example because maybe 
you know, not much of a leader, but more of a technical person. So I'm, right. I'm going to make this one, and maybe it could be one a and two leader, but yeah, 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 exactly. So, what's the next one in the in the top uh, five? Um, so let's see. I list uh, inexperienced leadership, um, deprioritizing strategic thinking, and over tactical thinking. Right? It's really only thinking tactically. Uh, failing to optimize against your threats. And again, those, uh, as an example, right, those organizations ju that just look for vulnerability management, they're not even thinking about what the attacker's looking at, right? They're just going, hey, I've got 99 vulnerabilities. I have to close them all, right? Um, another one was failing to maximize value because guess what? Security costs. Security costs something. It's dollars, it's friction, it's potentially delayed product. It's, it's all these, there's engineering debt in the, in the products and service. And you have to be able to justify that because security budgets don't go down over time. They only go up. In fact, last year in Europe, they just did a survey uh, for 2021. Um, cybersecurity budgets on average went up 60% in a single year. 60%. Now, normally it's in the 9 to 12%, and even that is not sustainable over time. So you have to be a business person as well to help justify that to the CEO and to the board and everything else. So failing to maximize value. Um, and then the other one there is organizational teamwork. And you touched on this, Marco. You may be great in the technical side, but if you can't rally your team especially trying to do something where the goals can sometimes be very ambiguous and the workload is very chaotic. It's not predictable. That is very challenging. And good leaders have to make sure their staff, right, are working and collaborating together. But in addition, everybody else in the organization, right, because you're now an advocate and an evangelist, you want them to do good things and report when they see bad things. You also have to communicate upwards to the C-suite, the CEO. They're giving you your budget, and they're also allowing you some of this friction. Maybe it's training. Maybe it's you know stronger passwords, longer login times. Who knows? And lastly, you have to go above them even and be able to justify and help the board realize the importance of security and the value that it's bringing to the brand, to the company, keeping them out of, you know, out of hot water, doing the right thing and being more competitive in the marketplace. It's a big role. It's a big job. So you've got all these different areas, right? Leadership, strategic thinking, uh, optimizing for threats, uh, teamwork across the organization and maximizing value. So what would you guys want to talk about? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I like okay. doing that. Um, and just thumb in the air, kind of, unless you have some, some, uh, insight that you can pull on, uh, I don't know what the big buckets are. There's, there's the team you're I'm talking about investing here and kind of okay, splitting, split, splitting up your budget. Ah, oh, okay. So you have your team that does, that implements controls and monitors the SOC and right. All that stuff. You have the technology that supports that. Mm -hmm. You have the operations, or I'll say pro program management that kind of keeps that all running okay. together. Okay. And 
I don't know if there's another bucket in there. So that's, that's kind of the people. Processing. External vendors and services, right? You may have services, a SOC that you okay. hire out to. You may have investigations groups, forensics groups. You've got communications because, again, mm -hmm. you have to advocate and evangelize within your user base. You don't want them doing bad things. And you, and optimally, you want them to be part of security and, and accept responsibility and want to do that, including reporting and resolving issues. Um, what else from a budgetary perspective? You've got... For large organizations, sometimes it's innovation and engineering. Mm -hmm. So you may be looking at new products or new vendors, evaluating proof of concepts or doing bake-offs with different projects. And when you do decide, hey, I'm going to go buy this seam or this DLP, you may need an engineering staff to help configure it, integrate it, and sustain it as well. And then you've got salaries, right? You got to pay. I mean, us yeah. CISOs, we're not we're not cheap. <laughs> you know, we, we work a lot for coffee, but we also do like a paycheck at the end of the day. All right. So, <laughs> so you have your coffee budget. Um, I'm wondering, do you have a sense of kind of the breakdown for those? I don't know. What was it? Six Ooh. buckets? See, that's a tricky question. Yeah. And I can throw out some numbers, but it'd be a farce. Yeah. The reality is your security budget is tied to your security objectives. Your security objectives should be in alignment and support for the organizational goals with respect to the type of threats and attacks that are going to come your way. And every sector is different. And every organization within every sector is also different because you have different expectations. Right. And those can shift. Your goals today may change because some board, the the chairman of the board saw a news story the night before on data breaches. And all of a sudden, that's the worst thing in the world, even though it really isn't for, for most organizations. <laughs> right. And therefore, that's what they want prioritized. OK, let's change the goals. We'll modify the objectives. We will reprioritize this, which means different tools, different capabilities, different all right, it, it can change overnight. So let me, let me ask you this. The biggest is, part tends is, to be the salaries and operations um, yeah. and the technologies you're going to buy, you know, overall, yeah. typically. Yeah, makes sense. And I would, I would throw the services in with the tech perhaps. Yeah. Even. Um, so let me ask you this then. The, a lot of conversations we have when we're talking about the CISO role is that they have to be connected to the business and speak business language. Yes. And, and what I'm what I'm hearing with this part of the conversation is they actually have to be a business leader for their for their part of the business, <laughs> right? They it's, do. Uh, you know, th th this isn't just you're given a chunk of money and you run off and build a team and and sling some code around. Um, you you really need to know the, the return on on the investment, what you're, what you're getting, and and kind of justify and quantify perhaps even the the risk reduction you're making, right? This is one of those situations where beware of what you ask for. Years ago, you know, cybersecurity was buried five layers deep as some director or manager of security, of information security or something, system security, and didn't have the visibility, didn't have the budget, didn't really have the weight to introduce friction, things of that sort. And the industry said, no, 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 we need to be higher. We need the bigger budgets. We need, you know, a seat at the table. Okay, great. 
you've now earned a seat at the table, not necessarily for what we've done, but for what the attackers have done, the brutalization, right? And so now cybersecurity is getting a seat at the table, but that table talks business. And if you can't communicate and show how you are supporting the business, no one's going to listen to you at that table. So with that newfound um, elevation, it also comes with expectation that you can talk and work and justify, quantify, right, the benefits of what you bring to the organization. And that's a huge ask for somebody who, again, may have been five layers deep that only focused on a few technical controls to get them out of that space and be able to talk at the C-suite level and at the board level, that's scary. And that's a skill that most cybersecurity senior professionals didn't have. And we're trying to grow the industry in that, in that way because that's the only way you're successful when you get a seat at the table. So uh, this is not a mistake, but a reflection or a thought that actually I had in other conversation too. And I go back to when we had that famous conversation with Steve Katz a while back that he said, we're asking too much to one person to be a CISO. We need more CISOs. Because otherwise you're going to say, okay, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, you have a creative mind or you have a, a more rational mind. Sure, somebody can be in between, but maybe it doesn't excel on both. So we are asking the, the deep tech, you're asking the deep business, you're asking the deep communication, you're also asking the, be the, the leader, the inspiration that, you know, yeah, let's go and let's win this game. I'm like, who the hell is this person? I mean, do we you don't see more? the cape. I mean, the season <laughs> job comes with the cape. You have so, to wear your underwear outside your pants and practice jumping over buildings. Yeah, isn't isn't this a mistake? Not a CISO mistake, but isn't this a cultural mistake that we we're doing? I don't know. I think you're onto something there, right? Because the expectations of the CISO continues to expand every year. Okay, we want you to protect data. Okay, we want you to protect systems. Okay, we want you to protect our suppliers. Can you go validate our suppliers are secure? And oh, also our business partners. Now when we're making business deals, we're going to be sharing and connecting. Can you make sure they're secure too? And oh, our insurance now has a cyber insurance clause. Can, can you make sure all those requirements are taken care of? G give and, me oh, a marketing can you plan to the too. Board? I need yeah. to present to the board. <laughs> and you know, you, you know all of our business processes and our business lines and, and where we're going next year. And oh, by the way, we're changing our infrastructure. We're moving to the cloud or this cloud, or we're going to the edge. You're going to have that covered, right? You understand all of that? You, you got, oh, um, by the way, can you also secure all of our products and services? And oh, also the open source software that we use and on and on and on. Oh, regulatory controls. And then oh, also audit it. And when something bad happens, jump on it and fix it real fast and work with legal too. Oh, and marketing, because now it's going to be public. So you need to be in the public as well. And you're good with computers. So can you come and fix my daughter's <laughs> yes. computer at home, my router? I have a browser error. Can you fix that too? <laughs> sure. Can I empty your trash can at the same time? By the way, we have to look at that too, to make sure you're not throwing away secret things. Um, now, now I'm gonna, so, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you here, Matthew, because 
I mean, th there's another role that I often look at in parallel to, to uh, cybersecurity infosec, which is the legal role, general counsel. Mm -hmm. They're all about reducing risk as well. They're looking at every other department as well, looking at documents, looking at contracts, looking at engagements, communications. One could argue that they have a similar challenge. They do, and they manage risk, but typically they manage risk in a different way. And they're managing, in many cases, a different type of risk, right? Um, you know, from a legal perspective, you've got regulatory compliance. And if you fail to do that, you can be sanctioned, you can be, um, you know, penalized. They're looking at damages risk from lawsuits, right? And the legal liability, especially punitive risks. Now, in their world, they have many tools in their toolbox, right? Part of that is, well, if we just keep things confidential, then the risk can be mitigated. And we have seen security organizations, and many still are, that report up in to the, you know, the, the chief legal person, um, director or executive, and the way they tend to be controlled from a strategy perspective is much different, right? Um, I went into one organization, and I won't name names, of course, but I went into one organization, and they had risks of data breaches. Legal's advice was, yeah, we don't care about what you're doing from a protection perspective. We want to make sure that nobody talks about it, that even if there is a breach, it's attorney-client privilege, right? We're not going to talk about it. There's going to be no documentation. Um, we're going to contain, right, the fact that there was a data breach. Well, wait a second. Where is the, we're going to close the hole that allowed the data breach? No, 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 whatever, whatever. We're going to contain this so it doesn't blow up in the media so that we don't get sued. And we're going to work with whoever has that data and we'll either sue them or we'll try and put an injunction. Okay, that's great, but you're kind of missing the point as well, right? It's just a different way of managing risk instead of emphasizing preventing it, right? And maybe rapidly detecting and responding to it, they wanted to control the narrative. And when I walk in, right, I get called in for incidents. And when I walk into a company and they've got their, you know, incident response team and I go in there and there are five lawyers and three marketing people and one poor junior cybersecurity person at the end, I know there's a problem. I know their entire strategy, right? Their entire strategy is contain what information is released to the public. That's the lawyers. The marketing people... Their job is to control marketing spin on what has been released. And the poor security person is a scapegoat. They have no say in the conversation. They're the scapegoat. I know that. I've seen this time and time again. And that's completely different than walking into a company where you have a cybersecurity incident response professional who is looking at root cause, who is looking to see how much, um, you know, the bad guy has permeated through the organization. Right. Have they gone to other places? Have they done other bad things? Right. And is trying to block that is working and communicating with every department within the organization saying, we've got a situation. Here's what I need. Here's what's going on. Take a look at this. Bring me your experts. 
and it's an entirely different world. You know, unfortunately, I've seen lawyers come in and say, don't tell anybody else in the company. Nobody else can know. Well, then how do we know if they're also hacked? Nope. If we don't know, we don't know. That's okay. Right? And any communication to anybody within the company, attach it to me, send it to me and put attorney client privileged. And then you can send one short message to them or I want to review the message. And it just hobbles down all the collaboration. And it just, hey, we're going to duck and cover. Ugh, I, I don't do well when I'm brought into those organizations. <laughs> I have a dissenting voice, um, which many times is why I'm brought in. But everybody's a little different. I have seen good security teams under legal organizations. And in most of those cases, the you know head of legal understands, yes, there needs to be a balance here. And I've got good staff. I've got good cybersecurity people. I need to give them the room to do what they know they need to do. They're going to have to explain it to me, but I'm not going to hobble them. I don't treat it just as a legal liability issue, right, for duck and cover. And in those situations, yes, cybersecurity can thrive. It still is a challenge, but they can thrive and do good. It just depends. All right. So we're getting to the end. I'll give you one minute to the end put... Is near. To put uh, to kick uh, kickstart your time machine, and tell me what is the biggest uh, mistake that will happen in the future? <laughs> <laughs> is it going to be technology related? Uh, you know, is it going to be human related? Uh, how's you know the future? It's going to be human related. I mean, we've got technology issues. You know, whether it's quantum or AI, they're mm -hmm. they're going to hand us our lunch, and and there's going to be challenges <laughs> there. But there's always that normal trade-off. That's a tug of war. Um, it's going to come back to the number one thing we've talked about, leadership. And that means it's people, it's behavior. You're going to have the best resources, but if you can't align them and you can't lead them, you don't go anywhere. In our industry, whether it's on the technology side or whether it's on the adversarial side, they're just getting better. It's just getting more complex, more difficult. So leadership over time becomes more and more important. And we struggle with it now. And the best leaders out there aren't trying to do it all themselves, by the way. They're working with those peers out in the organization. They're working with small groups. They're in that room with Chatham House Rules. They're on um, you know, platforms like Blue Lava and where we can talk with each other and we can learn. That's the only way we keep pace with the bad guys and good leaders do that because they know they don't want to have to learn everything themselves, right? They want to be able to leapfrog ahead and take care of the technical, the behavioral, the process, all those kinds of things and lead the organization to where you need to go to clear objectives and goals. It's going to come down to people. And more specifically, come down to leaders. It will. And, the and more specifically, and the leaders. to Sean, to me, You're responsible for everything, which, which comes down to pizza. It's always, <laughs> it's always comes back to pizza. No, I think, um, yeah, I was, uh, as you said, hand me, it's going to hand us our lunch. And all I can think of is, where's my beer? I'm in the dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> have me a beer and a fire extinguisher. I got this. <laughs> no, I think and um, everything is fine. And everything's fine. Everything's fine. The lawyers tell me everything is fine. That's right. <laughs> Let That's me just, just don't look over just there. Update my resume. Hold on. Just don't look over there. No, I think uh, you, you summed it up quite well, Matthew. And uh, you, my friend, are are a leader. And uh, I appreciate you and all that you do uh, for us in the community at large. And um, yeah, I think I think you shared some good things here for for folks to uh, chew on a bit and hopefully come away with some ideas of how they might change uh, some other things. Of course, we'll we'll put a link to your LinkedIn post because we didn't get through all of the mistakes. Um, and you only covered five, which so there are, I'm sure there are many more than five, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think the, to depress people though, come I on. Know. No, I know. this is a positive message. <laughs> it is a, it's lessons learned framed in, in the context of a mistake. But, uh, I mean, the, the reality is it's just as these conversations are, uh, we don't have all the answers. And even if we did, they wouldn't necessarily match with what everybody else is going through at their particular moment in time. Uh, so this is, the goal is to get people to think and to connect with each other and find ways to take positive action and, and move through some of the challenges we face. So, um, appreciate you, Matthew, for, uh, for joining us for this crucial conversation and, uh, for everybody listening, stay tuned for more and, uh, check the notes for links to Matthew's profile and, and the Blue Lava community and, uh, and leave your comments. We want, to know, what, exactly. we want to know what your thoughts, you know, and uh, so we can carry this conversation, including exactly. as many people as we can. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Crucial Conversations podcast with the Blue Lava community. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.